0: Thank, thank you over there, I, got a, I know how Eric feels, I got a partial standing ovation over there. <laughs> Ronald Reagan told me once that if I was ever introduced to give a speech and I got a standing ovation that I probably should sit down right away because I had nowhere to go but down after that. <laughs> so he gave me no advice on partial standing ovation so I'm just gonna stay up here and uh, carry on. Thank you for hanging in here. Uh, th- this has been an incredible conference, I hope you agree. Uh, but it's also been a heavy conference with a lot of difficult messages, a lot of things to process. We were talking at dinner uh, tonight about a lot of old stories about how I got into this battle, and Dr. Dobson, I started thinking back on when I left the White House, and uh, you and I had been talking about you know sort of putting the Family Research Council on steroids, Um, You know, it was a dream and uh, we wanted to move forward on it. I came out and met with with Jim to talk about it. Uh, It was gonna cost some money. Uh, I was gonna be paid, you know, a reasonable salary, but around the same time, I got approached by a law firm in Washington, D.C. They wanted me as their token conservative, and uh, you know, they, they put a very interesting offer on the table. I mean, between bonuses and the rest of it, uh, I was going to be making seven figures, And so I knew what I wanted to do, but I felt like a good spouse. I should go home on dinner that night and and talk to Carol about it and and uh, just kind of share my thinking with her. and I said, well, honey, i I talked to this law firm, and uh, I talked to Dr. Dobson. If I go with Dobson and do this thing, it's going to be this and But the law firm offered me basically a million dollars, but I mean, Carol, as, as you know, I, I just, I wouldn't be happy. And she looked at me a second, and she said, well, couldn't you be unhappy for a couple of years? <laughs> so I, that did not actually happen, but I love telling that story. <laughs> She gets furious, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm, am uh, I'm not going to have a good night tonight. I just, it's not going to be a good night. That's, that's all. She said, "Of course, take the Dobson uh, project with FRC and the, and the rest of his is history." But look, it is, Jim. It's fantastic to be back alongside of you in this work after everything we've been through, and at a time like this. And that's been a, a theme of this whole conference, right? What time is it? Eric touched on it uh, in a very articulate way, but it's, it's come up multiple times in the last couple of days. It, it's not the 1980s. It's not God blessing morning in America. Ronald Reagan's uh, great slogan. It's not morning in America. It, it's more like a couple of minutes to midnight. You know, it feels a little bit like the 1960s, but it's worse than the 1960s. The 1960s had a lot of this stuff we're dealing with, but it was a counterculture. It was was challenging the prevalent culture in America. Now it is the culture of America. We're the counterculture. So it's, you know, it's not really the 1960s. It's not the 1950s, I like Ike, ain't gonna do it. It, It's a lot closer to the 1850s, quite frankly. In the 1850s, we had one difference of opinion that could not be reconciled, could not be compromised. Either one man could own another man, or one man could never own another man. What's the middle ground there? There had to be a great war. 600,000 people died to prove that no man is born with a saddle on his back, another man born with spurs to ride him. Well, I can list 10 different things of which there are irreconcilable differences today. What, that's going to be resolved if we get the House and Senate, but they have the White House, or we get all three, and we're going to be able to ram down their throats our answer to all these things that cannot be reconciled? We're at a moment in which I think we are, for better or worse, going to see things and hear things and read headlines that are going to shake us to our very core. Did anybody think four weeks ago you were going to wake up and see headlines that said 1,400 Israelis massacred? That wasn't on my radar screen. You know, I had an acquaintance that lived in Paris, and he was a guy that uh, loved reading history. He would stay up late at night reading history books, uh, uh, novels based on actual history. And he particularly liked, and Eric would be interested in this, he particularly liked the 1930s. He used to think, what would I have done, he said to me. I I would think about that. I would sit there with a glass of wine. What would I have done in the 1930s? Would I I have been part of the resistance? Would I have hidden a Jew in my attic? And he said, then one morning, uh, as I was doing chores around my apartment, I heard shouting from the street outside. And he said, I went out on my balcony and I I looked out on the street and there were men walking in the street and they carried the Israeli flag, but they had cut out the Star of David and they had replaced it with a swastika and they were chanting death to the Jews. This was years ago. And he said, I I looked at my neighbor's balcony, and my neighbor was watering her plants. And then I looked over here, and I saw a guy I know on the floor below me, and he was going to work. They were acting like the men in the street outside of our building were chanting for the local soccer team. And he said, suddenly it hit me. I'm wasting my time thinking about what I would have done in the 1930s. What am I going to do now? You know, what we're seeing in the streets of America, This hundreds of thousands of people chanting, gas to Jews, death to the Jews. There's never been anything like this in the history of America. Oh, look, there, there's been many, many years, many decades, when a Jew couldn't get into certain country clubs. Might not be able to get into every college. I know that's hard to imagine, but there were times when a lot of universities didn't allow Jewish students in. Some corporations had an unwritten rule. Well, you know, we're not going to promote a Jewish guy too high up in the organization. Not all those things were wrong. But hundreds of thousands of people marching in the street calling for a second genocide? This is of a completely different order. There was a question about uh, whether Eric has a chance to talk to Jewish leaders. It's It's an interesting question. There is no historical hatred like Jew hatred. It is the longest hatred in history. It is the most universal hatred. In the Passover Seder, the Jewish people, probably for 2,000 years, one of the lines they say, in every generation, they arise to annihilate us. Jews, I believe, are hated, at least in part, because they were chosen. God in the desert meeting Abram. I am your God. You will be my people. He who blesses you, I will bless. He who curses you, I will curse. And I imagine Satan over there floating around saying, oh, yeah, well, we'll see about that. I've met many Jews who say, you know, Gary, you people keep saying we're the chosen people. Quite frankly, I would have just preferred not to be chosen. The idea of a single God came from the Jewish people in that meeting in the desert. The basic legal code of Judeo-Christian civilization came from the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments. 95% of the Bible was written by Jews. The patriarchs are all Jews. When Christ returns, he will come back to the actual Jerusalem. He will stand on the Mount of Olives, and it will split in two. The Jordan River will start flowing in the opposite direction. The people who want to erase the history of the Jews from the Holy Land would, if they succeeded, erase the history of us from the Holy Land. The Jews were in the Holy Land when Washington DC was still a swamp. So Judeo-Christian civilization is under attack. And Israel and the United States are the two pillars of that civilization. Did, did you hear the phone call that one of the men that carried out the massacre made? Yes. He called his parents. And when you listen to the recording, the, the happiness in his voice Sounds like what we would have sound like to call our parents and say, you're gonna be grandparents. But he was calling to say this, I killed 10 Jews with my own hands. I'm using the Jew woman's phone to call you right now. His proud mother responds, may Allah protect you. And at the highest levels of our State Department and Pentagon and our president are going to microphones and saying, well as soon as this trouble is over with, the only long-term solution is two states living side by side in peace. This is insanity. You can't live side by side with that. So Israel's under attack. And America's under attack in every way conceivable. And many of the speakers tonight have alluded to it and talked about it. America's in a crisis. A crisis in some ways like the crisis of 1776 when we dared to rebel against the motherland. And this idea we had of setting up a country that would be built on the idea that liberty comes not from government but from God. And that because God, liberty comes from God, and we're made in the image of God, this country and Western civilization was based on the idea that it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter if you're a newborn with Down syndrome or 99 years old with dementia. You have dignity and value and worth. And this civilization, based on that idea, has brought more freedom, more opportunity, to more people than any system in the history of the world. And we are teetering on the edge of a cliff. We are on the verge of losing it all. In 1776, Thomas Paine knew what the time was. He wrote a pamphlet called The American Crisis. The first lines are, these are the times that try men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. George Washington was so moved by the words that Paine had so captured the moment that he ordered his officers to read the pamphlet to the soldiers that were still in the Colonial Army. They were losing men every day. They hadn't been paid in months. Men were going home. As you know, many of them were barefoot. The odds were not good after that pamphlet was read the battle that began just a couple of days later. It was the turn of the war. From then on, we were on the road to victory. Thank God we didn't have only sunshine patriots and summer soldiers at the birth of the nation, or we would have been stillborn. But what will happen to us now? We're not led by George Washington's. We got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. What if all we have today are sunshine Christians and summer pastors? A theme that we've talked about the past two days. We will die as a nation. Again, I I apologize for repeating some of these themes, but it's like, Telling your wife you love her. There's some things you can't say often enough, right? Truths have to be repeated. Do any of you think it was a surprise to God that you were born in America? Of course it wasn't. He knew where you were gonna be born or that you actually were able to come to America at some point. We have immigrants in the audience. Do you think that surprised God? When you were born in America, that was a decision by God. He blessed you in one of the most important, magnificent ways you could have been blessed. You have enjoyed freedom of religion. You have lived in a decent country. This Sunday, all over the world, Christians, that were not so blessed. In countries that are not decent places will leave modest homes and walk for miles to get to a church to hear the word of God, knowing that what they are doing with their family may be the last thing they do on this earth. Because on Sundays all over the world, there are forces and movements that go Christian hunting. They blow up churches. They mow down Christians, leaving those churches. So when I hear a pastor saying, I'm not gonna get in all of that. Eric, I'm as angry about it as you are. Those pastors are ingrates. They've been given this great gift and they're not willing to do anything to defend it, to preserve it. The neo-Marxist left's plan is absolutely clear. It is to rip us out of the rich soil of Judeo-Christian civilization. Do you love Jesus? Of course you love Jesus. If I asked everybody to raise your hand, all hands would go up. Do you love America? Of course, all your hands would go up. That is a description of the overwhelming majority of the American people for 95% of our history. They loved God, they loved Jesus, and they loved America. Today, that's called Christian nationalism, and it is a very bad thing, we're told. They're already labeling the new Speaker of the House a Christian nationalist. Your neighbors and even some of your friends are being taught in all kinds of way, in the media, in the popular culture. Hey, the people living next to you, they may be one of those Christian nationalists. Be careful, those are extremists. Who knows what they might try to do next? Yeah, we all are familiar with a lot of Abraham Lincoln's incredible speeches the Gettysburg Address. They used to memorize uh, those things in school when I was growing up, probably for many of you too. By the way, if if you have never read Lincoln's second inaugural, you gotta do it one page, one page. And in one page, he refers directly or indirectly to God and the Bible 13 times. It's not taught in the schools anymore. How would they explain all those references to God by an American president? Hadn't he heard about the separation of the church and state? If you get your kids just to read the second inaugural, they will have an incredible weapon in their arsenal to resist the lies we're being subjected to. Lincoln at the age of 28 gave a speech in Illinois to a youth group. Most people have completely forgotten the speech. He's 28 years old. He's writing about America's future. Listen to this. He says this. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with all the treasure of the earth in their military chests with a Napoleon for a commander cannot by force take a drink from the Ohio River or leave a footprint on the Blue Ridge Mountains even in a thousand years. The greatest threat cannot come to us from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. That's where we are today, my friends. How did it come to this? How did we get here? How asleep were we? The Founders knew, as has been mentioned, that only a virtuous people could remain free, and now we're being told that unless we allow men dressed up like they're women to go into elementary schools and read to our children, we're bigots. What where did that come from? Who got up one morning and said, well, I think it's about time to push the good gambit of drag queens in the elementary schools. When societies sink into this kind of demonic paganism, we are sinking into a set of events that inevitably, almost always, the cost is measured in butchered children. One way or another, and that is already happening today. We're being buried in a blizzard of lies and our children more so than anybody else lies like there is no God, that America was never great, that our founders were evil, that your son or daughter is trapped in the body, the wrong body. This is why Dr. Dobson and I wrote Children at Risk so many years ago. Because we saw these things coming. This is why he started Focus on the Family. It's why he started the Family Research Council. It's why, when he could have retired, he started the James Dobson Family Institute. It's why I put some things aside that I could put aside to be alongside of him now at this moment. I suspect it's why you're here. You know what the moment is, and you're desperately looking for answers and we're going to try to do everything we can to provide those answers to save this country for our children and our grandchildren if we follow timid voices some of those voices from our own pulpits and worse some of those timid timid voices in our own hearts i mean i I feel like I'm a pretty good fighter. Every once in a while I'm getting ready to say something or do something and I think, really? should. I mean, We've got grandkids now. I, I Can't somebody else say it? Carol and I remember not that many years ago when we had to have a car parked in our driveway 24 hours a day with a couple of guys with guns in it because our kids were getting threats. We had a guy that used to call us and tell us where our kids were when he called. Dr. Dobson has experienced the same thing. If we dare to kneel or listen to those voices of timidity, we will have lost the constitutional republic that so many have died to give us. We would have trashed our own inheritance we would have condemned our own children to lesser lives we would have pet- betrayed the founding fathers and we will have jeopardized our own souls your revelations 28 8 helpfully lists which people it will be that will be thrown into the lake of brimstone and fire, to die a second death. And most of the people in the list won't surprise you. The polluted murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, but I didn't mention the first group listed. Cowards. That's the first group that will go into the burning lake, cowards. So we can't kneel, but we should not fool ourselves either. If we won't kneel, if we defend our faith, our country, our children, they intend to destroy you. Now see, when I say things like that, some of my friends, some of them even here say, I'm a pessimist. It's got nothing to do with optimism or pessimism. I'm trying to describe the moment. Optimism or pessimism comes up when you say whether you think we can overcome this or not. I still think we can, but not if we don't understand what we're up against. They intend to destroy you. They will isolate and crush you. They will dehumanize you. They are already doing that with the words they use to describe us. They will put you in jail. You don't think they'll put you in jail? They're already putting us in jail. There are grandmothers and grandfathers that didn't push any policemen on January 6th. People in their 60s and 70s, in some cases on videotape, being welcomed into the Capitol building. They have been put on trial, they've been found guilty, and they have been given sentences worse than carjackers and drug pushers get in Washington, D.C. Do you think that's because they thought those Grandmas and granddads were a threat to the republic. No, they think you're a threat to the republic. And they're trying to send you and us and anybody like us a message. Don't you dare think you can go into the streets, exercise your right of assembly, and your right of free speech. We, the left, own the streets. I know some of you will disagree. You can disagree. That's the great thing about America. This is where I am. Reason will not stop them. I mean, for reason to stop somebody, words have to have some meaning. These are relativists in every way. Moral relativists, they're, they're relativists about words. Words are what they mean what they say they mean. So reason's not gonna work. Constitution is not going to stop oh if if Donald Trump hadn't made the three Supreme Court appointments if Hillary Clinton had made those the court would have made up things in the Constitution to crush us but now that we have a majority in the Constitution in on the court they're not going to let that document stand in their way They'll do whatever they have to do. I talked to some of you about this. I can't recall which conversation it was. Last night, outside the homes of the conservative Supreme Court justices, there were demonstrators. You don't hear about it in the media anymore. That was months ago, almost a year ago now. The demonstrations didn't stop because their purpose isn't publicity, their purpose is to wear down the justices that we're counting on. Every night, their spouses, their children, hear the chants outside. Honey, I just can't take it anymore. I don't want to live like this. You've put your years in. You need to step down and move on. That's what they want, or even worse. You see, there's a federal law that prohibits demonstrations outside the homes of federal judges. The Biden administration's Justice Department doesn't enforce that law. They're too busy putting grandmothers in the D.C. jail. What message is that sending? You see, one of the reasons demonstrations aren't allowed is that demonstrations can be a cover for somebody that intends to kill a Supreme Court justice. And somebody tried to, flew from California to Washington, D.C. with that intention, but ended up being stopped. If they get the Senate back, we lose the House, they keep the presidency, they will stuff the Supreme Court. There will be 12 justices on the Supreme Court. What are those Christian friends of ours going to say then? Oh, I can't just stomach Trump. When all of what they cherish is gone. Before those three appointments, I talked to a Supreme Court Justice a number of years ago. And he said to me, Gary, I've, I've counted, every, every, every which way I can count, I can't find five votes in the Supreme Court anymore to uphold the First Amendment freedom of religion. So I'm just praying we don't take any freedom of religion cases. Now we have a majority in the court, but we came close to losing that. This is a harder thing to swallow. They're not going to be stopped by our goodwill. Oh look, you might have a friend or a relative that you want to be loving to, and you want to talk to them, and even though they disagree with you on everything, you want to reach out to them when you're in trouble, you should do that, and you might be able to win them over on a one-on-one basis, but this neo-Marxist movement that intends to rip us away from everything America was built on, they are not going to be moved by our kindness. Our impulse toward Christian charity won't do it. There aren't enough cheeks to turn. Hitler could not have been hugged out of it. It took blood and iron. It always takes, ultimately, blood and iron when you have an opponent that is as vicious and as dedicated As the opponent that we're facing. A few weeks ago we observed the, I guess it was the 22nd anniversary of the attack on 9-11. I was stuck in a traffic jam, as some of you know, in my car right next to the Pentagon that morning, about 60 yards away from the Pentagon, when all of a sudden I heard the roar of a jet engine And that jet flew into the side of the Pentagon and the blast literally moved my car and the cars that were in that line. I was the last car to get across the bridge to get on into Washington DC to try to find our daughter. I think about that a lot, but even more than what I experienced that morning, I think about that flight that took off from Newark, New Jersey that United Airlines flight. The passengers on that flight found themselves in the middle of a nightmare. The plane had been hijacked. Several of the stewardesses had their throats cut. The pilot and co-pilot were dead. The passengers gathered in the back of the plane to talk about what do we do? By, By the way, there was a disagreement. Some said, you know what, we need to get back in our seats. The plane's gonna land. There'll be negotiations, that's the best chance we've got. Other passengers said, no, 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 there's there's something else going on here. We need to fight back. You have any idea what they did, these Americans who disagreed on the morning that our enemies meant to take down our constitutional republic, they voted. Everybody in favor of fighting back, raise your hand. Everybody who thinks we ought to take our seats, raise your hand and the ones that wanted to fight back, won the vote. Now a lot of these passengers, it was actually a Jim Dobson moment if you think about it, they wanted to make a last phone call home. They called mothers and fathers, children, parents, simply to say one more time, I love you, don't forget me tell the children every day what they meant to me. One of the men on the plane that made one of those calls was a guy, you'll recognize the name, Todd Beamer, a Christian man, a graduate of Wheaton. As fate would have it, when he made his phone call home, the call was redirected by the federal government to the GTE headquarters in Chicago they were in charge of the phone system on the plane. And our government wanted to hear from these calls as much information as they could get about what was happening on the plane. And so Todd Beamer didn't get to tell his wife again that he loved her. He was talking to a woman named Lisa Jefferson who worked for GTE. And he extracted from her a promise that she would call his wife and tell her about the phone call. Lisa Jefferson and Todd Beamer talked for 13 minutes. During that time, and it's not clear how it happened, they started saying the Lord's Prayer together, and Lisa Jefferson said she could hear other passengers joining in, deliver us from evil. And then a little later, they recited together the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Shortly after that, Lisa Jefferson said, I could tell that Todd was not talking to me anymore. I could could hear other people's voices, and I, I heard him say, are you ready? Are you ready to go? And then the phrase that became iconic, let's roll, as he led the passengers running down the aisle into the teeth of men armed with box cutters. You can hear on the recording the brutal battle that ensues, the screams, the crashing plates and carts and yells You can even hear at the beginning one of the hijackers saying to his fellow murderers, they're coming. Your fellow citizens broke into the cockpit. The struggle ensued. Nobody could get control of the plane. Witnesses on the ground said they saw it beginning to fly erratically and then go into a dive and it crashed into the ground. Everybody on board dead. Did God not hear the phone call? Did he not hear the prayers? Of course he heard them. And he answered them. You see, the enemy that day meant for us to endure even more suffering than we did. That plane was on the way either to the Capitol or the White House or... Maybe a nuclear power plant, the experts differ. But the disaster would have been even larger than it was. And so God gave those passengers the strength to understand the time it was. They voted. They prayed. And then they fought. Because that was the only option left. And by doing so, they saved countless Americans and our country. I believe in the years ahead, under the leadership of JDFI and many other wonderful organizations, and with men and women like you rising to the occasion, I believe that if we will all do that and with some grace from God and strength from God and some protection from God, that five years from now and 50 years from now and 100 years from now or until our Savior returns, that the star of David will continue to fly over Jerusalem, the city of the free undivided nation of Israel and that the stars and stripes will continue to fly over Washington, D.C., the capital of the free and undivided people of the United States of America. May it be so. God bless you all. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're too kind. God bless you.